Well, I've said it before, but it couldn't be more true than it is today as we continue through our study of the book of Ephesians. We follow Paul's carrying along by the Holy Spirit as we make a turn from the general to the specific. So far in the letter to the church in uh, to the church in Ephesus, we've seen Paul move from the theological generalities of what God has accomplished through his saving work and the establishment of the church during his earthly ministry to the specifics of what does it mean to then be the church. If we've been established, what does it mean to be the church? Then he moved to the specifics beyond that. What does it mean for an individual church member to be a part of equipping the saints for ministry and for accomplishing ministry, even to perform ministry? What does it mean then to be church members joined together who are accomplishing the work of edifying one another and growing in the faith? And then again, now, even more recently, what does it mean as the saints gather to walk with one another, to speak with one another, and to grow in their faith with one another? Paul, again, in Ephesians chapter 5, moves from these generalities to something more specific as he approaches the issue of marriage, specifically Christian marriage and how it should be established, what it should look like, and how these things should work together. Each um, picking up from the general command found in verse 21 that each of you, speaking to all Christians, each of you are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That command is for all Christians, but it gets more specific as we apply this principle to the different areas of our lives um, through Christian fellowship. What does it look like in marriage, in work relationships, in familial parent-child relationships? And Paul goes on. Since Paul is going to go into the topic of marriage, I find it helpful to be reminded that the origin of marriage did not begin as a societal institution. Marriage did not begin with governments or with society. It began with God in Genesis. He instituted marriage before there were societies. And so marriage has to be understood through that lens. The fall as it corrupted all things in this world, corrupted marriage. The fall corrupted marriage? Well, absolutely it did. Just read uh, God's record, recorded word whenever he gave the judgment against the first sin. If you wanted to flip with me this morning by way of introduction just to read from Genesis chapter 3, I'll read from verses 14 through 19. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In your pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Wouldn't marriage have been great had it not been for pain through childbearing? For unity amongst wills between wives and husbands. If sweat wasn't necessary to eat. If death wasn't promised in our future. Of course it would have been. But the fall came with consequences. The consequences of sin that we see in this world. Ever more present in our wills that do not seem to be united with one another. Truly when we look at the fallen condition of man through the lens of marriage, we see it as a minuscule issue when we see a world with a will that is simply in rebellion against God. As we come to the text this morning, I realize that it has a tendency to strike a chord. The truth is, as we come to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, many would like to revolt and run away from this because it is not in alignment with what the world has to say about equal rights and privileges, about honor and dignity, what freedom looks like. But the truth is there is more honor and dignity in what God's Word has to reveal about our lives than anything that the world has to offer. And I pray that through our study, through our exhortation of God's Word and our obedience to it, that you will see there is more honor and obedience to Him than there is in anything that God has to offer, or I'm sorry, anything that the world has to offer us. It has more to give us as way of living in a family dynamic that glorifies God. Our governments and elected officials have attempted and continue to plot to redefine what the family is, to undermine the institution of marriage which predates any of their existence, to abdicate the authority of God. There is no place for that in the church, and there is no place for that in the life of a Christian. I do not come to this text with a political agenda, and I pray that by way of introduction that you would be reminded that neither should you. Our obedience to God's Word is not a political agenda. It is easy to look at the way that God structures life and instructs His people to live and to view it from the lens of a political fervor. When we do that, we do not do so. We do not live in obedience to God from a place of being spirit-led or being Bible-taught. Rather, we do it from our own personal agenda. We are no better than those who would rather read the Bible and take the parts that they like and abandon the parts that they don't like. When we read the Bible, we must be in submission to what God has to say. The truth is, until we have the faith to know that God's Word is perfectly inspired, perfectly authoritative, we'll never be able to understand what it is that He has to say about us. We'll never be able to understand His perfect will for us. We'll never be able to understand who He is, who the world is, and who we are in Him. Augustine said, If you believe what you like about the gospel and you reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel that you believe, it is yourself. 
I remind you this morning that we could apply the same phrase to the Bible. If you believe what you like about the Bible and you abandon what you don't like, it is not the Bible that you believe, it is yourself. And believing in yourself will undoubtedly, guaranteed, lead to death. Death which is not temporary, but death which is permanent. You see, even our faith is an act of submission in submitting to what God has already said. Pray with me before we read. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word this morning. As we come to you humbly, we pray that our will would be aligned with you, yours. God, we seek your wisdom and your insight for our lives this morning. As we come to the practical, we pray that we would not lose sight of the spiritual, that you are conforming within us a new creation, that you have given us a new identity, that you have made us a new creation. Lord, as we seek you to grow in this, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. We admit that our hearts are hard, that we are resistant to your word. God, we pray that we are prideful in thinking that we know better than you, if not in words, in the way that we behave. God, help me to be aware of the fact that I do not know better than you. Help me to come to your word ready to receive it and ready to apply it. In Jesus' heavenly name I pray. Amen. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are all members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife See that she respects her husbands. This morning, as we turn to our text, I am splitting this passage into two different areas because it addresses two different people, wives and husbands. And that means that if you're a wife here this morning, you're going to feel like you're in the hot seat. I pray that that would encourage you to make sure your husband's here next week when it's his turn. Uh, With that said... I also want to point out that this instruction, it might be, we might have a tendency to say, well, I'm not married, I'm not about to be married, and so there's no reason for me to listen to any of this. It doesn't apply to me. Well, that's not the case. The reason 
Paul's writing this letter, let's just look at the scope of what he is looking at, or let's set the scope. What are the parameters that this text is found? Are there limitations to how it should be applied? Are there limitations to who should be ready to receive it? Note first that this is written in a public letter to the church in Ephesus. He might be addressing wives and husbands, but this is an issue for the church. This is an issue that belongs to the church. This is written specifically to Christians, and so we need to be careful that this doesn't apply to marriages. Um, Rather, it should apply, but it won't make any sense. To marriages that are not between believers. This is for Christians. We cannot expect unbelievers to demonstrate this, neither can we expect them to understand it. It's hard for me to understand it. I live in a world I've been taught my entire life, the the doctrines of of feminism and everything that goes along with that. I understand them. I feel like I have a pretty good grapple with them. I could even defend some of them. But the truth is, when I come to the Bible, I have to set that aside, ready to submit to what God has to say. If it's hard for me to understand as a regenerate person, it is going to be impossible for an unregenerate person to comprehend. So in understanding how this should be applied, be sure that we understand when we say wives, specifically we're talking about Christian wives within the church in Ephesus and regenerate wives within our churches today. Um, And that's just it. It requires faith to understand God's Word. It requires faith to to know what He's doing. Even as we come to the, the first imperative, wives, submit to your husbands. It takes faith to say, this is what God says, and this is what's right for me to do. It goes against something inside of me, but this is what's right for me to do. It requires faith to submit to Jesus as Lord. Picking up from where Paul left off in verse 21, he says, All Christians submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and so too between the bonds of marriage where husband and wife are made one flesh, wives submit to your own husbands. We will never think rightly about marriage until we are convinced of the divine origin of Scripture. From a biblical perspective, we need to understand that our marriages are not private affairs. They're not. I'm almost frustrated with marriage ceremonies because the picture of a marriage ceremony is that the world is invited in to witness this private affair between two individuals, this great blossoming romance that is perhaps at its climax because it's downhill from there, um, where the crowds get to look at the backs of these lovers as they stare lovingly into each other's eyes. And they're invited in for a brief moment into what is their personal affair. That is not the construct for marriage that we find in the Bible. Marriage is public. Paul's writing to an entire church, not one couple. When he's writing to Ephesians, he's writing to the saints of Ephesus publicly. Because my marriage doesn't belong to me any more than it belongs to Michelle. It belongs to the church. 
you need any more evidence of that, I'd invite you to pick up a hymnal in a pew next to you, turn to the front cover. You should see a copy of our church covenants put inside of there. You'll find a note in there about Christian living and keeping Christian living. Because as Christians, we have not only covenanted together to live by faith, we have covenanted together to live by faith in our homes. For wives to submit to their husbands and husbands to love their wives is public business. Because marriage belongs to the church. It is an institution that was created by God directly. It's older than any world government, standing or no longer standing. It is the church's business. Naturally, strong marriages produce strong societies. Any historical commentator, Christian or secular, will tell you that even the most staunch, agnostic, or atheistic social anthropologist would agree with this observation, that when marriages and families are strong, the world works better. Societies have attempted to redefine what marriage is. Something that it's not. The Greeks tried. The Romans tried. And so too our modern Western global culture has. Maybe it's helpful to define marriage. Marriage is the union between one man and one woman. That's it. There's no negotiation around that. Maybe I should clarify a little bit more. One biological man and one biological woman. God made marriage. I thought this morning, starting like Vince Lombardi, because our societies have gotten so confused around this, but I realized I'd be preaching to the choir. Vince Lombardi began, this is a football. I thought about putting anatomically correct pictures of male and female up on the screen and saying, this is a man, this is a woman. They fit together. You can't corrupt this. But we can. The Greeks did, and they fell. The Romans did, and they fell. We are trying to, and I am sure, because the Bible promises this fact, so will this world. The perversion of marriage, not just in redefining the terms of it, but in making it something private, has allowed families to crumble and cripple themselves. Instead of struggling with what is perhaps the most difficult thing in our Christian walk, we keep it internal because it's internal business. Instead of yielding to the authority of the church in our lives, we don't have people come in and help us when we need help. Marriage is tough work. It does not work unless you are working in it. That's why it's not a picture of love. It's not romantic. It's commitment. It's the same kind of commitment that we have with the church. This is the picture that, that Paul is giving us. That when we come to the church, we love the church, not because she's perfect, not because we're romantically infatuated with her. We love the church because we know that she's imperfect, and I love her anyway. Husbands, just a bit of foreshadowing. The command for your wife is to submit to your own husbands. Verse 33 says, Wives, you should respect your husband. There's no condition by which you are to say, Because my wife does not respect me, I cannot love her the way I'm supposed to. 
Rather, what the text says is despite the way that you are treated, you are to love her the way that Christ does. The church who is imperfect, who is failing, who's disrespectful, who's adulterous, who is running away from me, you are to cleanse her with water, present her to yourself without blemish, make her holy, to love her despite all of these things. Because it works. I don't know if you catch the picture. It's not that romantic. It's enduring. And praise God that it is. Because that means that His love for me is enduring. All of my failures, all of the times that I fail, every time I'm emotionally manipulated, every time that I'm emotionally vulnerable, every time I act out of a place of anxiety that the the anger inside of me starts to take the driver's seat and I'm no longer being led by the Spirit, He still loves me. He's still washing me, making me holy, cleansing me, presenting me before Him without blemish, without spot or wrinkle. Wives, Your husbands aren't always going to be good at loving you. That is no excuse for failing to submit to them. That is no excuse for failing to respect them. This is the business of the church. A few weeks ago, we talked about transparency and how it's necessary in order for us to grow in our relationships with one another, that we're willing to be transparent with our church. Your marriage is a part of that. Your marriage is the business of your church, not your house, your church. Alan Kreider observes that the early church didn't grow because of their cultural accessibility. They grew because they, because they required commitment to an unpopular God who didn't require people to perform cultic acts correctly, but instead equipped them to live in a way that was richly unconventional. I know that what I am saying is unconventional. I didn't get here by thinking, how can I be incredibly progressive and present something new found in this text? I got here by saying, what are my preconceived notions coming to this text? How can I get rid of them? And how can I find what I believe is the authority in my life and let it speak for itself? And so it does. The command found in our portion of Scripture this morning given to Christian women within the framework of marriage is to their own husbands. We're still setting the scope. I've said two things so far. This is for Christians. If you're not a Christian, you're not going to understand it. I've probably already made you mad. I'm still glad you're here. Two... From a biblical perspective, your marriage is a public concern. Third, if the command is for wives to submit to their own husbands, let's set the scope. This is for married women within the church to submit specifically to their own husbands. This is not a command for women to be submissive to all men. 
any more than all Christians are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Again, I point you to verse 21. God created man and women in his image. They are indeed equals. What does it mean then that women should submit to their husbands? The answer is in the explanation that husband as the head of the wife is the depiction of Christ as the head of the church. This isn't an issue of being subservient. This is an issue of God's order and structure. Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is the head of the house. God created man and woman in his image. They're both equal. There's no denying that. We cannot say that one is lesser. There is no design issue in this. To understand that both men and women, while created equally in God's image, are different, not just in their anatomy, but in their motivations and in their desires and in their needs for a relationship. Emerson Egrich uses the picture in talking about how husbands and wives should communicate with each other And it's really cliche at this point, but I use it anyway because it's pretty dang good. To capture how different men and women are. Women see the world through pink glasses. Men see the world through blue glasses. Men have blue hearing aids and women have pink hearing aids. Both of them contain the image of God. Both of them have the picture of the divine in their creation. But their motivations are different. The way, that they, the way that they interact with one another is different. Their desires are different. Even their needs within a relationship are different. If any, I haven't been married as long as most of you. I can already tell you, and this is in no means any defamation of how wonderful my marriage is, it's not easy. I'm reminded all the time that it is a commitment. Sure and confident, I know that my marriage has my commitment. Unwaveringly, there's nothing that can happen that will stop that commitment. It's the same way I feel about the church. It doesn't matter how bad things get in the church. The church has my commitment. I belong to her. I'm in submission to Christ as my Lord. When I come to his word and I find something that startles me, I submit to it. At least I try. But men and women are different. In this order that God has given us that wives should submit to their husbands is actually the secret that makes things not secret because it's not so secret. It's written here plainly, isn't it? It is the key ingredient that makes it possible for this remarkably difficult institution to work. It's what makes it possible to work. Spent some time this morning so far just setting the scope. This is for Christians. This is a public matter. The command is for wives to their own husbands, not every man. Let's isolate the command. What is it that I am being asked to obey? Last week, you'll remember, I got really nerdy, and a lot of you 
were, you, you, you did a great job of encouraging me last week and telling me that I wasn't so nerdy by pulling out the Greek and looking at sentence structures. And so I'd, I'm going to do it again. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to be anywhere as close as nerdy as I was last week. I'm going to point out, though, because we talked about the difference between passive and active verbs. Being led by the, being filled with the Spirit is a passive verb. It's not something that I do. It's something that happens in me, and that, that's how it happens. It's passive. The command to submit is an active verb. It is something that a wife should do. It's in the active tense. As we discussed, wives are not inferior. In fact, in many ways, our wives are more wise, more talented, more discerning than most husbands. The issue of submitting is not a matter of inferiority. It is about order, God's order. Just as God ordered Christ, the head of the church, the husband has been ordered the head of the family. Note that because this is an active verb, it is not something that husbands can demand of their wives. In fact, it would be unscriptural for any husband to demand his wife to be submissive. It's an active verb. It's not something that happens to her. It's something that she wills and does. So husbands, if you have abused this text, you should repent this morning. You cannot tell your wife to submit to you. Your instruction is to love her. That's it. Her instruction is to submit. That's her choice. That's her will. And just like we all fail from time to time, falling from um, disobeying God and rebelling against Him because we still wage war against the flesh until we're perfectly glorified in heaven and our sanctification's been complete, your wife is going to, because she's a sinner, from time to time fail to submit. And you have no right to tell her that she needs to submit. That is outside of the realm of your authority. Do not confuse a submissive wife for a subservient wife. Such a confusion has been abused and it has no place within the church. As church members, we should be careful to protect each other from that interpretation. The act of submitting is honoring the way your husband is designed. I've spoken already a few times about the different design between man and woman and how we're made different. Emerson Egrich, again, um, in looking at this passage, and by the way, if you don't know, Emerson Egrich wrote Love and Respect, which is perhaps the best book on how marriage works out there that I have ever read. And so if you need to read it, you should read it. If you're thinking about reading it or thinking about getting married, I will buy you a copy because you absolutely need it. If marriage is at all in your future, you should read it. And it's all based on verse 33. Each one of you should love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In marriage counseling, there is um, the acronym that we use that prompts this type of submission or this isolating the command and defining what it actually looks like for the wife is chair. And really all it comes down to is honoring the way that God designed husbands, the way that he made them. That he first, see, is made them to conquest. There is a desire to work inside of man. That's part of the fallen, that's what God told uh, Adam in the garden after sin, because you have listened to your wife, you will work. 
You will eat by the sweat of your face. Recognize and thank your husbands that he has a desire to work. It is what fulfills him. It is what drives him and motivates him. H, that God has made a hierarchy. That inside of your husband, not just is the desire to work, but he wants to protect and he wants to provide. Thank your husbands for his motivation to protect and to provide. A, God has given him authority. Not just in the way that he was made, but in the way that he was designed. Your husband has a desire to lead you. I can't tell you the tailspins I've seen whenever husbands realize, I'm not leading my wife spiritually. My wife's the spiritual leader in our house. She's the one that brings us to church. She's the one that studies her Bible. I just hit the road and work. And it's a tailspin when you realize that the way that God's ordered the family is upside down. All of a sudden, that husband feels like he has no place. You know what you can do, wives? To submit to your husbands, acknowledge that he has this desire to lead, let him lead, and don't subvert his leadership. Out of reverence for Christ. Oh, I is my favorite. I don't know if any of you have ever talk, spoken with me, but most of the time, whenever people speak with me, my first reaction is, is it my turn to give advice now? Guys like to fix things. We work, we protect, we lead, and we want to fix. I don't want anything to be out of my control. Now, guys, get a little foreshadowing for next week. You need to shut up sometimes and just listen. Wives, you know what you can do to be submissive? Listen to your husband's ideas. Listen to the advice that he wants to offer you because he does it from a place of love because he feels as out of control as you do. Realize that your relationship's different. We'll talk about this next week when we talk about the way that husbands are to love their wives and honor the way that God has designed them. Women relate face to face. Men relate shoulder to shoulder. Wives, you know what you can do to submit to your husband? Sit down next to him and don't say anything. He wants you to be his friend. He wants to feel like you are friends. He wants your relationship to be strong. He bonds shoulder to shoulder. I like the acronym CHAIR. Because if Michelle would do this for me, everything would be perfect in our marriage. And she does. I have a great wife. (laughs) 
This command isn't an easy one, and I think the reason it startles so, so many people and why it can be so electrifying is because Paul doesn't mince words. This is remarkably clear. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There's no way to reinterpret that or to twist that. It means what it means. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and It's getting worse in everything. The submission's supposed to be in everything. We could approach this this morning and try to look at the world's arguments against such submission, how it's um, abandoning freedom, uh, and... I really just don't want to waste my time doing that. If you feel like I'm saying something that's counterintuitive to that, then I'd invite you to speak with me after the service. I I, I want to realize, though, that this kind of submission is bigger than any kind of submission that we have anywhere else in the world. It is in everything. It is with the same manner that the church submits to Christ. It's a big deal. How is this possible? I mean, we talked about how wives are going to fail from time to time and they're not going to perfectly demonstrate this. Guys, listen up. Your husbands are going to fail and they're not going to love you the way that they're supposed to. They're not going to be respectable. In fact, sometimes your husband's going to be caught up in sin and he's going to be sinning. And you're still supposed to submit to him. Because it says in everything... By the way, 1 Peter chapter 3 has more to say about that. Now, obviously, there are some constructs, right? Um, If your husband is telling you to sin, then you can obviously say that the Bible trumps that, but you're still supposed to respect him. Where's respect come into this? When your husband's sinning, don't come to him as an authority and tell him what he is doing is wrong and belittle him. Don't undermine the way that God has designed him to lead, to protect, and to provide. Come to him respectfully. Because those blue hearing aids will not hear you unless you do that. Those blue hearing aids will have a tough time hearing through the belittlement. Submitting everything. Finally, let's test the purpose of this, that wives should submit to their husbands. Why has God given us this command and how would it impact our daily living? It's pretty clear that it points to marriage pointing to the church. That when husbands and wives live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, there can be harmony. How is it possible to submit to someone who is imperfect? It takes faith in knowing that they have goodwill towards you. It would be very difficult to submit to someone who I did not believe had my best interest at heart. Why? Uh, Right now they're calling it the the great, um, what is it when somebody leaves a job? Resignation? The great resignation because everyone's leaving their jobs. Why are employees leaving their employers? Because they don't believe that they have their best interest at heart. 
There's no submission. How am I supposed to submit to somebody that, that I don't believe wants what's best for me? Wives, have faith that your husband does not wake up in the morning and say, I'm really going to get at her today. I'm going to come up with a laundry list of chores. I'm really going to make her life difficult. I don't think there's any husband that does that. If you have faith that your husband has goodwill towards you, then it should be possible to submit to him. To show him that you love him by honoring the way that God has designed him. Trust is what makes this type of respect and submission possible. And just a little bit of foreshadowing for next week. Because I want to be clear. I really, really want to be clear. Because if you leave here this morning, and, and husbands, if you leave here this morning and you are really excited to apply this biblical truth in your household, and you say, all right, you go down to dinner and say, hey, so... How did you apply that text to your life? I want to be really clear. Husbands have no right to demand their wife to submit. Submission and subservience are different. I want to be really clear that wives have no right to demand their, love, their husbands to love them the way that, that is being described here by Christ. This is an expectation that comes from God not husbands and wives. So in this design, what's so remarkable and what's so great about it is not only is it pointing towards the church, but it's actually the cure to these types of issues. Whenever husbands, um, or rather when wives fail to submit to their husbands, the only thing the husband can do is love her more. Wives, when your husbands fail to love you the way that you think that you should be loved, the only thing you can do is respect him more. Uh, the crazy cycle goes like this, that he reacts without love, and so she reacts without respect. And when she reacts without respect, he reacts without love. And when he reacts without love, she reacts without respect. And, and it goes round and round and round, and marriages fall apart. There is another solution. The energizing cycle says that his love motivates her respect. Her respect motivates his love. It takes one person to break the cycle. You don't need to tell your wife to submit. You need to love her. Wives, you don't need to tell your husbands to love you. You need to submit to him. This picture... Paul writes, verse 32, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Belongs to the church. Because the more you submit, not only is it energizing, but it starts to become rewarding. Because the more that you submit, the more you are rewarded with love. The same way as the church submits to Christ, the more we experience His love. The more that we are loved by Him, the more we want to submit to Him. 
Paul's been writing about spiritual maturity and how we can become more spiritually mature, how we can grow in our faith, no longer be infants, but how we can edify one another and help each other to grow. This is the same picture. If I will submit to Christ, I will experience more of his love. I will want to submit to him more. And because I do that, I'm going to experience more of his love. Wives, if you submit to your husbands, he will love you more because he will be able to. Not because he's weak, not because I'm trying to say that, that, that anything's wrong in this design, but because by respecting the way that God has designed him, by respecting that man and woman are different and that they fit together, when these things coincide with one another, they bless each other. Submit more, love more. And in so doing, husbands and wives will not only experience the blessings of marriage, but they will experience the blessings of God's love. Because marriage is not a private institution. It is a public church-owned institution. And as such, marriage is designed so that it will bring you closer to God. That's why people get married. Your wife's not responsible for the way that you draw close to God. Neither is your husband responsible for the way that you draw close to God. Instead, when the two of you are drawing near to God together, you naturally draw closer to one another. If you think about it like three different points on the map, where you're at, where she's at, or he's at, and where God's at, if you're both moving to God, you're going to go closer together. And we do so in obedience to his word. We'll have a song of invitation, and I'll invite you this morning to respond any way that you'd like. It may be necessary for some of you to repent. It may be necessary for some of you to commit yourself to obey what God commands. Regardless of how God is leading you to respond this morning, I encourage you not to leave here without making application in your life. Would you pray with us? Father in heaven, thank you for this morning, for your word. Thank you for the instruction that it gives us. God, I pray that you would... Remind husbands that they need to be here next week to hear what your word has to say to them. God, I pray that you would encourage those of us who are single to accept that, God, you do not call everyone into marriage and you even call it a blessing. But to realize that marriage is still our business. Because it belongs to the church, we are a part of it. God, I pray that you would help us to commit to one another and to edify one another that we would continue to grow in you. In Jesus' heavenly name we pray.